Good morning. We are going to be in the book of Judges this morning, Judges chapter 6. So I'd invite you to turn with me there, if you would, to Judges chapter 6. But I've, um, you know, I've mentioned from time to time sort of, you know, my background, where I was, uh, you know, living in Michigan, what I was doing, uh, working as an accountant. And, um, you know, after graduating college, I went to work for this uh, civil engineering land surveying firm in Holland, Michigan, and I was, an, I was being employed as an entry-level accountant. So, you know, I was, doing, I was paying the bills, uh, invoicing, that type of thing. But, you know, over a period of three years, as most of us do when we begin a new work, we get more and more responsibility handed on to us. And so during the end of my uh, third year with them, something uh, catastrophic in my mind happened, and that was that my boss, who was the controller of the company, decided to pursue a different uh, position elsewhere. And so, um, you know, I'm sort of frightened at that point because I don't know what to do. Uh, My boss is leaving. What's that going to mean for me? Uh, This was during the time of uh, 2007, 2008, when we were going into an economic recession, if you remember that well. Uh, And this was a time where our company was expanding. We were uh, a a Michigan-based company that had five uh, locations in Michigan, but we started expanding into Indianapolis and Raleigh, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, again, during this time of uncertainty. And so because of that, uh, the president did not uh, want to hire a new position. He didn't want to bring in somebody else from the outside, a high-paying official. And so what he did was uh, he gave the position to myself. And so I was doing my job and the controller's position. And again, I was shocked. You know, you're going to put this uh, load of stress on me. I only have three years of experience. And I'm thinking, you want me to do what? You want me to do what? In my mind, again, it's racing to everything that my boss was doing that I'm now going to have to do. I'm going to have to stand in front of the board of directors each month and give a report on the company's financials. And these things were uh, quite upsetting. I was the youngest person in the company, and you're, gonna, you're wanting me to do what? But eventually, with you know, the consult uh, of talking to my family and you know, getting some time to think about things, I eventually uh, accepted the, the, the position. But my story is not uncommon. Uh, each one of us has gone through these things in our lives, whether it's within our careers or maybe it's within our personal lives. We ask these questions of ourselves, how can I do that? You want me to do that on my own? And we have doubts, right? And when we do that, we're not considering God, but we are considering ourselves and our own selfish desires. But scripture is full of examples of individuals, unlikely individuals, taking on a role, a great role for God. We can think of Moses and Peter and Paul. And over and over again, the theme between God and those men and women of faith in the Bible, we see that no matter the situation in their lives, their age, their economic status, male or female, God can use them for their glory, and he can use us for his glory as well. And so this morning in Judges chapter 6, we're going to look at the account of Gideon. Gideon is one of the judges who asks a similar question. Now, his account is found in Judges chapter 6 through 8. And maybe he's not as popular as Samson, who we usually think of as a judge when we think of the book Judges. But Samson's, or excuse me, Gideon is right up there. Uh, he has almost as much material written about him as Samson. Gideon is listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, or one of those men and women who had such great faith in the Old Testament. And so we want to consider Gideon and his account this morning and that great question that he asked, O oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? 
Well, the book of Judges, if you're not familiar with the book of Judges, it's a narrative uh, that's quite cyclical. We see over and over again that the people of Israel have a life of ease and freedom, and then they tend to forget God. They, they forget God in their lives, which in turn results in them disobeying God or going into apostasy. And because of that, God will send one of their enemies to come and enslave them. And they'll be in slavery for some time, and then they will cry out to God, they will repent, and they will be delivered by a judge. And we see this cycle over and over again in the book of Judges. The, the, the prior judges to Judges chapter 6, men such as Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah, who, who was a female judge, uh, they are, were judges... Um, uh, judges didn't really have uh, this administration type of ability. What is a judge, anyways? Uh, judges, they, they weren't a king, but they were more of a military type of leader. They didn't legislate laws. They didn't have a kingdom. They didn't have subjects. Uh, their positions weren't passed down from one generation to the other, like father to son. But these were men and women chosen by God to relieve the people from the oppression uh, that they were in until they repented. And most of these judges, they were great warriors. Some of them were priests. Some of them were prophets. But in Judges chapter 6, when we get into the account of Gideon, uh, the, the people of Israel, they are in this cycle uh, of forgetting God, of disobeying God. Notice in verse 1, it says, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. So we, so we have their, the, the, the oppressor here is the people of Midian. They're coming down, and they're finding uh, the Israelite people, and they are disparaging them. They are taking away their food. They're ruining the, their crops. Uh, we read about in verses 1 through 10, and Israel was brought very low because of that. And so, as we see in this cycle, they, they begin to repent. They, they call on God. Look at verses uh, 7 and following. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all our all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave them their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. I am your Lord God. He said, you should not be fearing the gods of the people of the land. You should be obeying me. And so because of that, uh, the people cry out, they repent, and God is going to bring them a judge, a deliverer. Look at verses 11 through 13. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak, which was in Orpha, which, in, which long belonged to Joash the Abarizite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. So we meet Gideon as he's secretly trying to get some, gather some food because he knows the Midianites are going to come down and raid their land. And so he's secretly putting this food together and the angel of the Lord visits him. 
Now, there's much discussion as to the identity of the angel of the Lord. Uh, in the context, we can somewhat determine uh, what that is. Um, in Joshua chapter 5, the angel of the Lord came to Joshua, and Joshua bowed down to this angel of the Lord and worshipped him. And, and we know that within Scripture, angels do not receive worship. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 8 and 9, the Apostle John said, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the word of this book. Worship God. And so we understand that uh, angels do not receive worship. And so this angel of the Lord is some sort of uh, image of, of God, of Jesus Christ. And in this instant, it appears that, that the angel of the Lord here appears to be deity. Because if you look in verse 14, the Lord looked at him and said. And so the former judges were said to be uh, moved uh, by the spirit of God. But here in this instant, Gideon has been appeared or has appeared um, uh, the, the angel of the Lord. God, through the angel of the Lord, has appeared to Gideon. And the angel said in verse 12, the Lord is with you. Oh, valiant warrior. And Gideon, of course, responds skeptically. He responds how maybe you and I would respond. If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Gideon, he, he wonders about all the miracles that their fathers had witnessed. And what about Egypt? Didn't you bring us out of Egypt? Didn't you bring my fathers out of Egypt? Surely he is no longer with us uh, as are in the hands because we're in the hands of the Midianites. But look at verses 14 through 16. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. See, the, the angel of the Lord commands Gideon to go and deliver Israel in all his might. And Gideon, we notice, he offers excuses. You want me to do what? He says, oh, Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? My family is the least in the tribe of Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord reassures him that he will be with him and he shall defeat Midian as if they were one man. And then look at verses 17 and following. So Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff as was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23, the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. And of course, as many who are skeptical of things such as this, they, they ask, I need a sign. God, I need a sign. Gideon asks for a sign, and he goes and prepares this meal. 
And it's quite a sacrifice. A young goat and enough bread to feed a family for several days. And the angel of God performs this miracle by consuming the fire or consuming the meal in the fire. And it vanish- and then he vanishes from his sight. And Gideon at that point is convinced and is reassured that he will be victorious just as the angel of the Lord told him. For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And he tells him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Well, what can we this morning learn from this lesson? What can you and I understand from this? You know, many times we answer God the same way. We want to know, you want to, or we ask that question, you want us to do what? You want me to do what? It seems so simple, doesn't it? Does it not? If God calls one to a task, if he asks something of us, one should just do it. We should just do it. But there are men like Moses who, who did not want to go. There are men like Isaiah who say, I'm too sinful. There are men like Jeremiah who say, but I am just a youth. And there are men like Gideon who want assurance. They, they want to see a sign. And Gideon's excuses, again, they're, they're so familiar. They're so familiar if you recall the account of Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. Again, Gideon says, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? My family is the least in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's house. And again, Moses, when he was before God in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, he asked some similar questions. He said, who am I? Who am I to do this, to go to Pharaoh and to announce this? See, Moses and Gideon, they both doubted their self-worth. Certainly God doesn't need me, and we do that as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, and I'm going to flip through some New Testament scriptures uh, if you want to follow along. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, here Paul is writing and says, uh, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, now he's speaking of the gospel. He says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. See, the gospel is in each and every one of us. Uh, we, we as Christians have that gospel message to bring to others. We are those earthen vessels. We are those things that, that uh, decay over time uh, and they're fragile. And we have this message that we need to get to others. Again, we ask ourselves, certainly God doesn't need me. Who am I? But God says here through Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is how the gospel message gets out. This is how we tell others. It goes from one person to, the, to another to another. And then, of course, you know, Moses also had the excuse of, I have no message to offer. You know, Mo- Moses and Gideon both doubted their abilities. They may ask the questions that I just don't know the answers to. I can't, uh, I can't go in front of the, these people because uh, maybe, maybe they're going to ask something that I just don't know. You know, again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. This is the verse that I have uh, gone back to a couple of times with you a couple of times as far as an important verse in my life. And hopefully uh, you'll be studying this as well and maybe applying it to your life. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter here writes, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You see what Peter says there is that as Christians, we always need to be ready to make a defense, to give a reasoned argument for the hope that is in us. Not that we're going to get in a fight and an argument with individuals, 
but that we can easily and logically explain to others, show others through the scriptures why we have this hope. So that we won't have these doubts such as Gideon or Moses to say, I don't have a message to offer. I don't know how to answer those questions. But when we study the scriptures, when we apply 1 Peter 3.15 to our lives, that we need to always be ready to make a defense. Then we can, um, uh, as God would have us to do, uh, offer that excuse. And also, notice Moses also said that they're, they're dull of hearers. They won't listen to me. That was another excuse that Moses gave. Moses and Gideon both doubted their confidence. Right? They might not believe in me. And maybe they're emphasizing that me part. They might not believe in me. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Again, this is a verse that may be very well familiar with you. In, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we want to emphasize uh, this part here. As Paul writes to the, Rome, the, 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 Christ, the, Rome, the Christians in Rome, and he says here in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. It's not about me. It's not about Moses. It's not about Gideon. But the power of the gospel is in that message. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. They might not believe me, but that's okay. It's God who they are rejecting. It's God who they are turning down. It's God who they're not listening to. But the power is in the message. We also remember that Moses gave that excuse that I'm just not eloquent enough. I'm I'm not a good speaker. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul addresses this as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2 to this effect. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, starting in verse 1, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him Crucified. Notice what Paul says, uh, continuing on in verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You notice what Paul's saying here? Uh, he, was, he was scared. He, he, he was timid. Uh, he didn't have the best oratory skills. Uh, he couldn't stand up in front of a, a group of individuals and give this great speech. He, he says, but... In verse 2, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that, that's the direction that all Christians should, should go in. Uh, that, that when we stand before other individuals, that we know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, 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 that's our main goal. That's what we want to get through to them is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then notice that last excuse that, that Moses gave. He said, send someone else. This is another one that we often go to. Moses and Gideon doubted their qualifications. I'm not as qualified as others to do this. Have someone else do this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20 real quick. In Matthew chapter 20, verses, starting in verse 26 and 27, we'll notice that Jesus says these words. He says, It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be, my, be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. See, they doubted their qualifications. They doubted the qualifications that they had to go uh, to these individuals and to speak, whether it was Pharaoh or or to the other Israelites uh, in Gideon's case. 
But Jesus says here that if you want to be great, you need to be the servant. You need to go and do the work. If you're looking to be great in the eyes of men, you're not going to be great in the, in, in the life after. And so we notice that God provided assurance to each one of Moses' excuses and Gideon's as well. And he does that for us as well. We offer similar excuses when it comes to God's commands for us. But thankfully, God is a patient God. He is long-suffering. Thankfully, God continues to cleanse us from our sins when we make mistakes. And thankfully, I can do all things through Christ. Right? With Christ's backing, with his authority, I can do all those things. I can put these excuses aside and go to individuals and speak to them or put my doubt aside. But notice in the second list of lessons that we want to learn how God dealt with Gideon. See, the first thing we notice is that God built Gideon up. The angel said to him in verse 12, again, he said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And then remember, he told him, You shall defeat Midian as one man. What encouragement that is to get from our Lord, our Creator. Uh, this is not flattery, but this is encouragement. The encouragement that scripture or that, that Christians should give fellow Christians day after day. Remember what the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews 3.13? He said, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? We need that encouragement. We need to be encouraged every day uh, so that sin cannot uh, get to us. Uh, other translations in this account in Judges 6, uh, he calls him a mighty hero, a mighty man of valor. And again, uh, Christians must encourage one another. Uh, there was a baseball player maybe you're familiar with uh, in the early 80s by the name of Ryan Sandberg. Uh, he played for the Chicago Cubs, and because you know Chicago Cubs were always on TV and always on daytime, you know that was a team that a lot of us watched uh, growing up. And in 1984, they had traded for uh, this player by the name of Ryan Sandberg, and they only really expected him to be a position player. Uh, they, they traded for uh, from the Philadelphia Phillies, and they brought him on board, and he was going to be a backup to somebody in the infield. They just didn't really know where that was going to be. But also in 1984, the Cubs hired a new manager by the name of Jim Frey. And during spring training, he noticed that this six foot two infielder, the, the, he was, you know, he was built. He was a big guy. But he noticed while he was up at the plate hitting uh, balls that he was hitting ground out after ground out after ground out. And, of course, in the major leagues, a ground out is an out. Right? And so Jim goes up to Ryan uh, during spring training and he says, listen, you've got the size. You've got the ability. Drive the ball. Drive the ball. Stop, stop uh, grounding out, but knock it over that fence out there. And long story short, that year, Ryan Sandberg won the NL MVP. He went on to have a Hall of Fame career. And at the end of the day, when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, guess who was sitting next to him? It was Jim Frey. It was the man who encouraged him to be a better hitter. He didn't yell at him like some managers would do and berate players, but he, he confidently went to him and told him the things that he needed to change. And because of that, his life turned around and he was encouraged. All because of a few words of encouragement. But notice also, not only did God build up Gideon, but God comforted Gideon. The angel said, surely I will give, I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Again, he re-emphasizes his presence with him. 
And it's a comfort to know that God is with us. We see that a couple times within Scripture in Matthew chapter 18 when Jesus is laying out for the Christians there what to do when there's trouble within the congregation and when you need to go to your brother and point out something that he may have offended you by. And if you remember by the time at the end of that in verse 20, he says, where two or three are gathered together, I am in your midst. Right? Jesus is there with us. And that's a comfort for us in times of trouble, in times that we have to go to our brothers and sisters. And of course, in Matthew chapter 28 and 19 and 20, when Jesus is giving out the Great Commission, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we're out evangelizing, when we're talking to others about Jesus, he is with us. Again, a great assurance. But also, not only did God build up Gideon, not only did God comfort Gideon, but he also assured Gideon. God miraculously consumed that sacrifice, that offering Gideon had. But however, you know, God no longer works miraculously today. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 tells us that he works through Jesus, right? Uh, Long ago in those days, he spoke through the prophets in many ways, in many portions, but today he speaks through his son. And so that's how we know God's will for us today is through Jesus Christ, through his words that have been revealed to us within scripture, and God assures us today in two ways. He, he assures us naturally uh, through nature. The psalmist said in Psalm 19 verse 1, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. Right? When we look out at the night sky, we should be able to see God. Uh, this, uh, the vast uh, array of stars and night sky, the space, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 20, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Again, if we had no knowledge of the scriptures, of the Bible, and we were to walk out outside and see the trees and the grass and the water, we should know, we should understand that this didn't didn't come by chance, that there was a grand designer that brought these things here. But also, not only in nature are we assured of God, but also divine revelation. See, God, through revelation, gave us the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 tells us, But now this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so we understand that God has assured us today that the scriptures are his words, that these aren't uh, opinions of man, but these were given by the Holy Spirit uh, through the men who, who wrote them down from God eventually. Well, Gideon, if you remember the accounts in chapter 7 and 8, he goes on to command a 300-man army and relieves the people from the oppression of the Midianites. He went from a man who was full of doubt to a man who was inspired by God. And again, there are times in our lives when we feel like we can't make a difference. And what do we do? We, we offer excuses. We lack faith. However, Scripture says otherwise about these doubts. Instead of saying, you want me to do what? Instead of asking that question while reading God's word, let us remember the example of Gideon and how God prepared him for his glory to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Again, remember Gideon. God used him despite his doubts. 
And if God can use Gideon to spite his doubts, the least of all of Israel, the least of the tribe of Manasseh, surely he can use you and I this morning. Uh, if you're here with us this morning as we offer the invitation, uh, if you're not a Christian this morning, we would love the opportunity to, to, put, to help you put Christ on in baptism, to become a child of God, to be added to his church, and to um, start a life as a Christian. If you're here this with us this morning and you are a Christian, but maybe you've had these doubts in your lives, uh, maybe you need the encouragement of your brothers and sisters. Yeah, you need that encouragement that, again, that he says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, that day after day, uh, the deceitfulness of sin is upon us, and, uh, and maybe that's loading you down, and maybe you need to ask for forgiveness as well. Uh, we would love to help you as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.